Welcome to Operation Shoestrings 2021 Conversation About Community, our 15th annual public dialogue about issues and opportunities facing our community and shaping our work at Shoestring. I'm Robert Langford, Executive Director of Operation Shoestring, a nonprofit founded in the heart of Mississippi's capital city in 1968 in order to create greater equity and opportunity for low-income children and families as a means of building a better community for everyone. In 2021, Shoestring's work is inspired by those same values and strategies. We run after-school and summer programs for school-aged children and youth. We provide parent support and engagement services. And we lead the coordination of the Mississippi Statewide After-School Network that's focused on creating more high-quality after-school and summer programs throughout our state. At our core, Shoestring's work is focused on creating the world as it can be, one in which all children and families can thrive. In this year's conversation, we'll explore what it will take to create a community that really values its children and youth. We'll talk about how we might create a community in which kids can thrive and easily reach their full potential. We'll also look at obstacles to making that happen. We'll push into what our individual and our shared responsibility is in all of this. Of course, no conversation today can happen without referencing COVID-19 which is the reason we're doing this virtually rather than in person. There's no doubt that COVID-19 affected low-income communities of color like the one we serve in Jackson much worse than it did most other communities. But the reality is that COVID-19 only exacerbated inequities that have long existed in many of Jackson's predominantly African-American neighborhoods. Those inequities have, of course, long affected our children and families. And things have only gotten worse over the past year and a half as a result of COVID. So as we wring our hands over the current rising violent crime rates, low school test scores, heightened food insecurity, increased economic security, and other things, we need to consider that this isn't new. But why should we care about any of this? Well, for Operation Shoestring, it's central to who we are. In fact, it's in our organizational DNA. But we believe, more importantly, that we're all in this boat together. We believe that Jackson and the Jackson metro area won't reach its full potential as a safe, healthy, nurturing place to live and do business until kids like those we serve in the heart of the city are able to reach their full potential by living in an environment that truly supports and nurtures them. As we say at Shoestring, we all rise together. Before we get into today's conversation with our amazing panel, let me introduce our moderator, Kaylee Skinner, the managing editor for Mississippi Today. Kaylee's focused much of her reporting on education, race, and economic inequality. So she seemed like a natural for managing this year's conversation. Kaylee? Robert, thank you for having me. Um, I'm just gonna dive right in, guys. Um, thank you to Operation Shoestring for creating this space for us to get together and have this conversation about community. Um, as Robert said, I'm the managing editor at Mississippi Today. We cover current events and politics across the state. I'll be moderating the conversation and with me are our panelists. Uh, first, we have Letitia Johnson, an attorney and a member of the Jackson Public Schools Board of Trustees. Welcome, Letitia. Uh, our next panelist is Pastor Chuck Cool with Northminster Baptist Church. Northminster is now in the 20th year of an intentional congregational friendship with the neighborhood's nearest Operation Shoestring. Thanks for being here, Chuck. Thank you. 
And our final panelist is Dr. Michelle Owens, a maternal fetal medicine subspecialist and professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Welcome, Michelle. Great to be here. Um, all of you are here today to discuss a central question, which Robert just alluded to. How do we create a community that really values its children and what are we willing to do individually and collectively to make that happen? What are some roadblocks or barriers you've seen that prohibit that from happening? I know, Letitia, you obviously are a school board member. Um, I, you probably have a lot of thoughts about like what might be an issue for the school district. Um, I don't know if you wanna talk about that at all. So, I mean, inequity is the first thing that sort of comes to mind, um, the destabilization, the, um, the destabilization of communities when, you know, a mass population leaves, um, when communities aren't economically diverse, that has a profound effect on the people that are left behind. Um, those are all things that we see every day um, in JPS. Um, you know, our, our, our kids don't necessarily see um, professionals that look like them. You know, they don't really know what's possible a lot of the time. Um, it's, it's an isolation that happens when people, you know, pull out and move away. And so that's the way I see sometimes um, our city being, and we've got to fix that. Chuck, I'm wondering, could you talk a little bit about some challenges or um, struggles that you've seen with your work in the Midtown neighborhood? I think that um, one of the struggles for, not for all families, but, but for some families in, um, uh, in, in the neighborhoods nearest to Operation Shoestring um, are just very basic fundamental economic struggles. Um, and I know this is not news to anyone, but, and I know it sounds really simplistic to say, but um, it, it's hard to think about um, anything but keeping your lights on if your lights have been turned off, if your water's been turned off, or if there's no heat in the house, um, or if you don't have a refrigerator and you have four children, or if, or if there are three children in the house and there are no mattresses, everybody's laying down every night on their own pile of cloth. Um, those are not hypotheticals. Those are realities in Jackson. And um, so just the sheer stress and pressure of, of economic uh, privation, um, at, at least by North American standards, um, I think uh, is, uh, is a weekly, monthly reality for, for lots of families. I think um, also fear uh, because of uh, sort of random gunfire, it's mostly being fired in the air, but it, that doesn't keep it from being frightening. And um, so uh, fear because of uh, lots of 
reckless behavior and is that reckless behavior rooted in a sense sort of economic hopelessness, that sort of thing. I think there are all sorts of systemic reasons for, for um, actions that cause fear in, in other people's lives, um, um, which is not to say that, you know, all is, uh, is frightening and difficult and bleak. That's, that's not the case at all. But I think that those are some of the, um, some of the realities that make life difficult. Um, I have um, lost, I guess, um, three friends to uh, gun violence. Uh, in the neighborhoods immediately around Bailey Avenue over the years. And um, so that the sort of specter of gun violence is an enormous um, cloud, of course, over many cities, um, ours, ours included. Michelle, what about you? What, what obstacles do you see in, in your line of work? Um, so by um, being in the medical field, I guess um, just kind of focusing on um, children having adequate access to health care. Um, and, and here's the thing, there's a huge disconnect. Um, there are things like, oh, well, we asked this mother to bring her child in and she doesn't come. But you know, she, she doesn't have a job that gives her leave to be able to do that. Or um, she just got a new job and this job is really important because it's the only way that she feeds her family. Um, it's just, I think that's a, a real challenge. And this, this gap or chasm that exists between um, the medical community and the local community and how we've just not quite gotten it right as far as figuring out how to bring the two together. Um, the medical establishment has just kind of been like, here we are, come to us and, and do what we ask or you're non-compliant or you know, what have you. And, and I think if there was a little bit more understanding about the difficulties and the challenges that you know, have been enumerated just today, um, if there was a little bit more and perhaps maybe a, some way that, that, that we could work together collaboratively to kind of bridge that gap, yeah. um, then I think that perhaps maybe our children would be healthier, their, their families, their loved ones might be healthier. Um, and it doesn't, medicine's still expensive. It still doesn't take away the financial barriers that exist. So I'm not saying that if we did that, then all would be well. But I do believe that there's a huge disconnect. And, and I believe that it, one of the things that, that we need to do, a potential solution is kind of working a little bit more to engage the community and to work as partners with the community to help facilitate care for the people who need it. And I also, you know, I never knew a doctor who made house calls, um, but the concept of being able to meet people where they are 
sometimes we can be more sympathetic than empathetic. Um, If that really makes sense, we can feel sorry for your situation, but sorry. Right. And um, rather than trying to understand what, what it's like to be in that situation and then working to use our, our talents and our intellect to strategically find innovative ways to eliminate those barriers. And I, I feel like if you just do the diagnosis and treatment, there's a whole lot that you're gonna miss um, because our patients aren't just diagnoses that need treatment. They are, they are people with problems and um, we can't just exist in a silo or a vacuum. And I, I think that also kind of speaks to the, the value of, of relationships, whether it be with anyone in this panel, but just with medical, the medical field specifically, I personally get intimidated going to the doctor. And if they don't explain to me why I'm getting this procedure done or, or what this word means, like, I mean, I would be more reticent to, to go to the doctor to begin with. So I don't know if there's also something to be said about maybe opening up the lines of communication or just being more open generally. And I trust is central to that relationship. And, and there are areas where the medical community struggles with trust, period, especially in communities of color. Um, we don't always like to talk about that. Um, it's not comfortable, but I think that that's an issue and, and it's really difficult um, for you to walk into someone's office who you've never seen or met um, and to trust them to take care of you, to trust their judgment, to trust their recommendations when there's somebody who you've never seen or when you know that, that you'll see them in that office, you won't see them anywhere else. You won't see them in the grocery store. If there's a grocery store in your neighborhood, they would never be, you won't see them on the street in your neighborhood. Like, I don't know that people often grasp how much of a stretch that is and how much of an ask that is to ask someone to come into that situation, especially when they're looking back at you and you wonder if they could have any idea what your life is like, because no one seems further away from your existence than that person and for you to trust them completely. Um, and I think it's wrong for us to have the expectation that, that that's something that's gonna be freely given um, and that it's not something that we have to earn or that we have to invest in in order to receive. Thanks for watching today's conversation. Stay tuned because there's another episode and you won't want to miss it.